Well, good morning, church. As we are uh, continuing this series of Rooted, uh, you may or may not be following along in a workbook, and that is, that is fine. Um, if you are, we're heading into week number four tomorrow, and uh, it's, it's been encouraging to me. Uh, often as I hear different people sharing, like, this is what I've gotten out of it, I would encourage you to keep texting, email calls, say, hey, here's, boy, this really helped me, or when I was reading through this this week, or maybe you're sharing with another person, please continue to do that. Well, grab your Bibles. You're going to be in different places throughout. First Peter will be one of the places where we will most likely land a couple times. Uh, other times I'll be putting the scripture up on the screen for you. But as you're grabbing your Bibles, I'm going to throw a question out at you. And here's the question. Where is God? When you, when you look around the world, I don't know if you've ever wondered this. Where is God? I mean, as a Christian, we probably don't want to admit that we've ever asked that question because it makes us sound weak. Like, well, how dare a Christian ask that kind of question? Like, well, where's God at? But when you consider accidents and death and cancer, when you consider the daily difficulties of life, I believe it's very easy for anyone, including a Christian, to look at that and say, I've asked that question before. I've, I've said, where is God? Because in the midst of suffering and pain, we long for the presence of God, don't we? I mean, this, play, this is a tough world. It's been that way since the fall of mankind, though, hasn't it? Since Adam and Eve sinned, it's been nothing but sweat and pain and death. We have to deal with it. It doesn't take long to realize that life is painful. But how painful? I don't want to linger long on this, but I'm going to just make sure we set the tone. Start with your own home. Doubt, discouragement, broken relationships, financial challenges, maybe some, uh, some battered emotions, sickness, pain, neglect, maybe even abuse is going on at your home. It's suffering. And then if you look outside your home, maybe to your neighbors or your community, you see more of it. You discover, you know what, some people have it worse than me. They're dealing with maybe cancer or a loss of a job or a car accident. Or maybe they had a house fire or maybe they overdosed. And then you look beyond our community and you look into our state right now, which I'm sitting there thinking, how could we ever get to a point where we're going to vote and say it's okay to exterminate life? How do we ever get to that kind of spot? Increasing violence, toxic, destructive tendencies on social media. What is going on? And then you expand out even further globally and look around what's going on in the world today. And we, we just a week ago, there's a massacre in Israel. Thousands were killed, which now has led to an all-out war where more are being killed and wounded. And you have to ask, what's going on? Where, where is God? Does he see? Does he care? I spent a week in a small town serving on a mission trip a while back. Our team served in this community, helping those in need. We served in a small church with a Bible club of 50 plus kids. We also served in a community helping paint homes and uh, do housework for them. And I want to read to you the statistics of just this one small town, because I think this one small town could be duplicated across the U.S. The life expectancy of the people in this small town for the male, male expectancy is 43. 43. Women, they live to be at least in their mid-50s and probably uh, due to having children, their lifestyle changes. 
Of the 50 or so kids that came to our youth club, here's what I was uh, given the statistics by the people in charge there. Five of those kids will be dead before they reach high school. Only eight or nine will graduate from high school. Fifteen girls will have a child before they turn 18. Ten boys will have spent time in jail before they turn 18. Most of the girls over 10 years old have already had their first sexual experience, probably with a relative, sibling, stepdad, mom's boyfriend, dad, uncle. In one week, over 12 girls were molested. 20 to 30 kids in that school, half of them will quit before they turn age 16 without their parental consent. Over half of the kids are being raised by somebody other than a maternal parent. Over half the kids are labeled ADD or ADHD, much as a result of fetal alcohol or fetal drug syndrome. School district has children identified with handicapped conditions at a rate twice the rate of the state itself. It has the worst literacy rate in the state. The week before we arrived, a 10-year-old committed suicide. There are 18 drug-related gangs in this small town. Before we would go out to do the kids' club, uh, we had to do a sweep of the playground to make sure that all needles were picked up and kids didn't touch them. So where is this small town? It's a small town of 500 people. White Swan Indian Reservation in Yakima, Washington. I felt like I was in a third world country when I was there. And I looked around what was going on, and that was 20 years ago. What is it like today when I feel like our world is sort of spiraled and down to a darkness at some times? I, I wonder, what is it like today? And amidst all that, the question comes back up. Where is God in the midst of all of this? Because I would definitely label that as suffering. Suffering occurs in our schools, in our homes, locally, nationally, globally, as I just said earlier. And we're not exempt from suffering just because you're a Christian. Tell me, what do I say at a funeral for a baby that's three weeks old and passed away? What do I tell that family? It's a world of suffering. I believe even as a Christian in these moments, it's, it's okay. Church, listen, I believe it's okay to ask that question. I don't think I, I'm going to give up on my faith and walk away, but I want to be honest with God, and I want to be honest with where I'm at, and I believe we're desperate for hope. I believe we're longing for an answer to this question. I want to continue on my faith journey. I want to continue to trust my Heavenly Father, but I need to know the answer to this. It's like, God, where are you at? Because there's times when I feel alone, and I'm sure there's times you feel alone, or maybe you're saying, do you see what's going on? Where are you at, God? You know, you look into the Bible. We're not the only ones asking those questions. In the book of Psalms, I'll put the scriptures on the screen. Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2 and 43, 1 and 2. It says this, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? This is, this is King David. This is David, a man of God. And he goes, Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift up my voice, but I find no relief. Do you, do you hear the pain in his voice? Another chapter, 43, 1 and 2, says this, Declare me innocent, O God. Defend me against these ungodly people. Rescue me from these unjust liars. For you're my God, my only safe haven. Why have you tossed me aside? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? See, this week, as you dig into your rooted books, you're going to be reminded of the reality of hardship and suffering. And you're going to sit there and say, Hey, but you know what? I'm not alone. I'm to have faith 
and I'm to surrender in my Christian life during these times of suffering. You're going to discover that this week as you go through your books. But this morning, I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to depress you, but I want to bring us around to the realization of what's going on, and then I want to give you hope this morning. I want you to be able to walk out of here saying, you know what, there is suffering going on. I recognize it. I've asked that question, where is God? But now I have an answer. I want you to walk out of here with that answer. I want you to be able to trust God. So let me give you these in order. First thing I want you to know is this. This world is not our home. Can we establish that? This world is not our home. We are temporary residents here. This is a rental, okay? Heaven is our home. Until that time comes, we are just visitors and aliens here. Peter said this in his book, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. He said, so you must live in reverent fear of him, that's God, during your time here as temporary residents. Later, in that same book, the next chapter, he said, Dear friends, I warn you as what? Temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Now, to understand this, let's put this maybe in a more relatable situation for some of you. If you are in athletics at all or you have a kid that's in sports and you travel and you go to away games to the visitor stadium, to the visitor's locker room, you usually don't get a warm welcome. If you're at the collegiate level, especially Division I or professional level, and you go to the visiting stadium, the visiting locker room, the visiting town, you will get yelled at. You will get booed at. You will see things you do not want to see. You will hear words you do not want to hear because you're the visitor. And if you're a parent and your kid's out on the mound, pitching and, and you're in that visiting stadium, you're going to hear all those people yell things about your kid that you just want to scream. I saw this in, uh, this was in 2017. This, this report came out. It's still that way as of I know today. Um, this is the visiting locker room for the Iowa uh, football team. If you watched yesterday at college football and you see Iowa and Maryland playing, they were at Maryland. Now, had Maryland come to Iowa, the Maryland football players, a six foot six football player, 300 pounds, going to walk into an all pink locker room. Church, everything in that locker room is pink. The urinals are pink. The stalls are pink. They put Barbie signs up on the wall. It, you know, so if you're walking in as a visitor, you're walking in and right away you're like, I'm ready to f- play football today or play Barbies. I don't know. Uh, it's an incredible psych game they play, but that's the whole point. You're visiting here, I'm going to make you feel very unwelcome, okay? This church, listen very carefully, this place we live here is not our home. First Peter 4.1 says, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude that he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. Goes on to say in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 14, Dear friends, don't be surprised at fiery trials that you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you hear the name of Christ, or bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. Verse 16 and 19 go on to say, But it is no shame to suffer 
for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Verse 19, so if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what's right. Trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. See, because this world is not our home, expect suffering. Expect it. If you woke up and you thought there was not going to be any suffering going on, you have woken up in a fantasy world. This is not our home. This church is why we look forward to the blessed hope that we have in God through Jesus Christ that someday we will be in his presence and all this will be done. No more sin, no more death, no more sickness, no more tears someday. But today, here we are, foreigners and aliens expect the suffering. That's the first word of hope I want to give you, okay? Just understand where you're at. Here's the second thing. Understand this. You are not alone. You are not alone. Just as we find uh, people in the Bible who are asking the tough questions, like, God, where are you at? They also came up with an answer to those tough questions. Oftentimes they would ask that question, but then God would work in their life, and later they would say, here's that question again, but I'm going to give an answer to it in the same breath. Psalm 42.5 says this, Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. That's not a question. That's an exclamation point. I will praise him again, my Savior, my God. Now I'm deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. See, when we're discouraged, we need to remember who God is. When you think you can't make it through the day, remember what he did in your past and what he's able to do. Psalm 91.4, he will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. I was thinking back to the story when Jesus is on the boat and this big storm comes. All the disciples are in the boat and it is just rocking and they're thinking they're going to die and the storm is horrific, right? And Jesus is sleeping during the storm. And he, the disciples go over and they wake up Jesus. And they ask him this. I believe it's in Mark chapter 4. He says, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Now, I'm sure after those words left their mouth, they probably thought we probably should have never said that, right? I mean, really, you are asking the Son of God if he cares. Think about that. You really care if we drown? Jesus woke up. Boom, calmed the storm. Probably looked at them. We don't have any kind of storyline as far as what he said after that. But I would, I would, you'd have to sit there, teachers, like Jesus probably looked at him and go like, I care. I, I don't know. What, what did he do? What did he, we don't know. But he answered their question without words, right? Later down the road, Peter, who was in that boat, again, we don't know who asked the question. I'm guessing Peter, but we don't know. That's a, that's a question before we get to heaven. Hey, Jesus, who asked you uh, if you care? But later in life, a few years down the road, Peter writes in his book. He says this in 1 Peter 5, 7. He says, give or cast, like he's casting that fishing net, cast all your worries and cares to God because he cares for you. Somebody asked, do you care? And later Peter's like, he cares. Trust me, he cares. You got problems, you got worries, you got anxiety, cast them, give them all to God. We're not alone in these moments of suffering. There is a God. He does care. You're not alone. Here's the third thing. God knows. God knows. God is aware of the suffering. 
He's aware of the stench of sin and the pain and the sting of suffering that's going on. He is fully aware of this. He knows. He's not blind to the suffering of his people. If you remember the story in the book of Exodus chapter 3 where Moses comes up to that burning bush. He sees this bush on fire. He goes up to it. And from the bush, he hears a voice. And that voice is God. God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now listen to what happens next. Verse 7 of chapter 3. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because they're harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. God answers the question that we are asking. God, where are you at? Are you, do you know what's going on? God's like, I'm aware. I've heard their cries. I have seen them being whipped. Verse 8 says, So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile, spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 9 is up on the screen. says this, Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. God says, I've seen it, I've seen it, I've seen it. And now I'm going to deal with it. What suffering are you going through? God has seen it. He has seen it. He will deal with it in time. 2 Kings chapter 20. We read about a time Hezekiah, he was a king. He became deathly ill. The prophet Isaiah comes to King Hezekiah and he gives this message to the king. He says this, this is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order, for you are going to die. You will not recover from this illness. Oh, thanks, Isaiah. Wonderful words of prophecy. Listen to what happens with King Hezekiah. When Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I've always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. And then he broke down and he wept bitterly. You ever had those moments? You get bad news, you cry out to God, and then you just cry. You just weep. Maybe you get angry. Maybe you go for a run. Maybe you punch a wall. But you cry out to God. Verse 4, but before Isaiah had left the middle courtyard, so Isaiah's leaving King Hezekiah. He's crying out to God. He's weeping bitterly. Isaiah's leaving, and God speaks to Isaiah and says, I got another message. Go back into King Hezekiah and give him this message. Tell him, this is what the Lord the God of your ancestor, David, says, I have heard your prayers. I have seen your tears. I will heal you. And three days from now, you'll get out of bed and you'll go to the temple of the Lord. God hears, God sees. Now, will he answer that prayer in three days, three years, 30 years? We don't know. But I know this, he hears. He sees. He knows what's going on in your hearts. I believe that. If you remember the story of um, Jesus and Lazarus, and sometimes we look at that story, um, Jesus got word that Lazarus, his close friend, was dying. And he's like, you need to come right away and see Lazarus. Jesus like, okay, thanks. And he waited a couple of days. And then he's like, hey, guys, uh, let's go see Lazarus now. He, you know, he's, he's asleep, but we're going to wake him up. He's like, he's sleeping? Let him sleep. No, I mean, he's dead. Why did he wait? You know, when Jesus showed up, Mary and Martha are both like, what? Really? If you would have been here earlier, Lazarus would still be alive. 
And if you remember, Jesus went to the tomb, John eleven thirty five, 35, shortest verse in the Bible, two words, Jesus wept. He hates sin. He hates death. And his friend Lazarus had died, and he wept. It's a harsh weeping. It wasn't a trickle tear down the side of the cheek. And they called out Lazarus' name and raised him from the dead, showed him that he has power over death. And a week later or so, Jesus would have that same power in his own body as he resurrects from the dead, which we celebrate every Easter. But you think about this. In verse 14, earlier, before all this takes place, the disciples were like, why are we going to go now? Jesus said this, Lazarus has died for your sake. I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you may believe. That's the answer. So that you may believe. Do you think their faith was forever changed after witnessing Lazarus come back from the dead? Absolutely. Had Lazarus just been sick? Oh, you got a fever? Let me take care of that. Y'all good. All right, get up. The disciples like, we see that all the time with Jesus. Lazarus was dead and buried for days. Jesus brought him back to life. He said, why are you doing that? So these guys will believe. Oh, they believed. Let's also remember God knows what suffering is because God himself became flesh, Jesus Christ, and suffered on the cross. He knows what suffering is. In the midst of suffering, you're not alone. God knows, which leads me to my next pray. Pray. You know, we, 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 we face hardship and suffering with prayer. We fight anxious thoughts with prayer. Uh, the verse this week in Rooted is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. If you remember this one, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for what He has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything He can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's our verse this week. You'll see it tomorrow when you open up your book. It's obvious that in pain, times of pain and trouble, we need to talk to somebody. Talk to God. Before you hit social media and you have to tell everybody else, talk to God. Before you call up a friend, before you text somebody, talk to God. Pray to him. At first, it might be just a whisper. It might turn into a big cry for help. It may be last minute reaching for disparity of, of just save me, help me, rescue me. But it needs to be intentional. It needs to be intentional. We need to, we need to pray. I, uh, I heard a story about a minister um, he had died, gone to heaven, and he was outside the gates of heaven, and standing before him was another guy dressed up, sort of like a loud clothes, jeans, a leather jacket, sunglasses on, and, um, you know, this, this pastor, he's in a suit, you know, been pastor for 43 years, and, and um, the guy in front of him is up there, and, and um, the gentleman in front of him is approached by an angel, and the angel says, tell me, what is your name? And uh, why should I let you into heaven? The guy replies, well, my, my name is uh, Joey Cowan, and I'm a taxi driver from New York City. And the angel just sort of smiled like, all right, let me look here. He looks on his list. He goes, ah, oh, yes, here's your silk robe and your golden staff. Come on into the kingdom of heaven. And then he looks at the pastor, and the pastor, like, he stands up nice and bold. Nice, all ready to go. I'm Joseph Snow, pastor of St. Mary's Church for 43 years confident as he could be, right? Angel looks at his list, looks at his, oh, yep, yep, here's your cotton robe and here's your wooden staff. Welcome to the kingdom of heaven. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Taxi driver, dude. He got a silk and gold. I got cotton and wood. What's, what's going on here? Doesn't seem fair. The angel said, well, around here, 
um, we base these results of the work that you've done. Um, when you preached, people slept. When he drove, people prayed. <laughs> well, before you email me or approach me, that's not the way people get into heaven. I know, I know, I know, okay? I get it, okay? Uh, yesterday, a group of people gathered, a couple, couple dozen of you, I think, gathered yesterday morning to pray. And some of you prayed at home. Some of you had other things going on. We said, a lot of you are going to be all over the place. Um, but we need to pray more. So we made the attempt yesterday to say, let's gather to pray. And we did. Here's the fifth thing. Number five, trust. Choose to trust regardless of the outcome. I don't know if you think about this. Many, many pictures may come to your mind as far as how to, what trust looks like, whether it's you're in the pool and maybe some of you have done this before and your kid's on the side, just jump, just trust me, just jump, right? Um, I like that illustration, but I heard another one by Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom said this once. She goes, when a train goes through the tunnel, it gets dark, but you don't throw away your ticket and jump off the train. You sit still and you trust the engineer. I like that because a lot of times in our life, it gets dark. You don't take your Bible and rip it up. You don't take your faith and throw it away. You sit still and you trust the Lord. When life gets dark, trust God. Psalm 52, 7 and 9 says this. Look what happens to mighty warriors who do not trust in God. Oh, they trust their wealth instead and they grow more and more bold in their wickedness. But I'm like an olive tree. I'm thriving in the house of God. I will always trust in God's unfailing love. I will praise you forever, O oh God, for you, for what you've done. I will trust in your good name in the presence of your faithful people. Trust in God. In the presence of his faithful people, trust in God. Last thing I would encourage you with this morning. In the midst of suffering of everything that we've said so far, one, this world is not your home. You are not alone. God knows. Pray. Trust. Humble yourself. Surrender. If you have your Bibles, open them up uh, to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Starting in verse 6. Let's just read that one verse. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. I will never forget in college, going into my sophomore year, during my sophomore year, my dad had been in an accident. We had to drive three hours down to Indianapolis to the best surgeons in the nation that was in, this, in that region. And they had to deal with his hand. And I remember Christmas morning, the alarms going off in the hospital uh, for him in his room. And they had to go back and take him into surgery. Whether or not they would be able to repair his hand or not, the doctor said, we may just have to amputate it. And on Christmas morning, instead of receiving something, I felt like something was going to be taken from him. I was mad at God. I was asking that question, where is God? My family all goes down to the room to pray in the waiting room. I went outside. I went for a walk. They were walking to God. I was walking away in that moment because I didn't understand why my dad had to suffer. All I know is this. About a couple hours later, I come in there and the doctor comes in. One of the best in the nation says, I can't explain it, but he's going to be okay. His hand, he's going to be able to keep everything. When the professional 
walks in and says, I can't explain it. The rest of my family was sitting there and they had big smiles on their face like, we can explain it. It's called answered prayer. But there's a God. Me, on the other hand, my pride was too big. I was like, not giving God credit on this one. Why do we even have to go through this kind of stuff? I know people have it worse. I get it. But in that moment for us, I went back to college, made a couple dumb choices. And after a few months of doing stupid stuff, I realized I had to humble myself. I had to surrender to God and say, what are you doing? I know better. I know better. I know all this stuff about God. I know better. But my pride did not want to give in. So I finally had to humble myself and surrender. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, Give all your worries and cares to God, and he care, for he cares about you. Coming back to what Peter said earlier, right? There's that humbling part, that surrendering yourself, realizing, you know what? What do you got going on around? Just give it to God. He cares for you. Look at the next one. Verse 8, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. There's that trust. Remember that your family of believers are all over the world. is going through the same kind of suffering as you are. Here it is. You're not alone. You think you got stuff going on in your world? So does everybody else all around this world. Remember, we're aliens here and strangers here. This is not our home. We're all going to face suffering. We're not alone in this. God knows what's going on. He truly knows what's going on. Pray to him. Trust him. Surrender to him. In time, whether it's soon or in eternity, I don't know. I do know this. It will be made right. And I trust God on that one. And I hope you do too. In her book, The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom tells of a time where she discovered that God was working even in the midst of suffering. She tells about a time with her and her sister Betsy. They had been imprisoned by the Nazis. They had been hiding Jews behind the walls of their home in Holland. And uh, they had been arrested and they had been taken to a camp. She writes this. Barracks number eight was in the quarantine compound. Next to us, perhaps a deliberate warning to newcomers, was located the punishment barracks. From there, all day long and often into night came the sounds of hell itself. They were not the sounds of anger or any other kind of human emotion, but of cruelty altogether detached. Blows, landing in regular rhythm, screams keeping pace. We would stand in our ten deep ranks with our hands trembling at our sides, longing to jam them against our ears to make the sound stop. It grew harder and harder. Even with these four walls, there was so much misery, too much seemingly pointless suffering. Every day, something else failed to make sense. Something else grew too heavy. She said, she went on to write, yet in the midst of all that suffering, the women prisoners around Corey and Betsy found comfort in Bible studies in the barracks. Corey writes, they gathered around the Bible that they had. She said, the blacker the night grew around us, the brighter and truer and more beautiful burned the words of God. When they were moved to barrack number 28, Corey was horrified by the fact that when he went in there, the stench was horrific. Stacks of beds, all with straw, filled and infested with fleas. How could they live in such a place? 
But it was her sister, Betsy, who came up with an answer. This is what Betsy said. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. She was quoting scripture. She said, that's it, Corey. This is the answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now and thank God for every single thing about our new barracks. She said, I stared at her and looked around the dark room with a heavy stench and thought, what are we going to thank God for? And then they started to thank God together. They thanked God that they were together. They thanked God that they had a Bible. They thanked God, even for the horrible crowds of prisoners, but they had a group of people that were ready to listen to the Word of God. And then Betsy thanked God for the fleas. The fleas. Corey said, that's too much. Betsy, she said, Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Betsy replied, she said, give God thanks for all circumstances. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of the place where God's put us, Corey. And so they stood between the flea-infested bunks and thanked God for the, for the fleas. But she said, but I think Betsy was still wrong. It turned out Betsy was not wrong. You see, those fleas were a nuisance, but they were a blessing as well. Because here's what happened. Because their place was infested with fleas, the supervisors, the guards did not come in and harass the women, beat the women, or even go in there to see what they were doing because they didn't want to get the fleas. So they were not harassed. They were not beaten. And they were able to open up the Bible and have long Bible studies because nobody was going to interrupt them. Those fleas actually helped protect those women. Worship team, would you come forward, please? Church, listen. We all have, if you want to call it, fleas in our life, right? We all have suffered in our life. And we may sit there and say, how can I give God thanks for this moment? Um, obviously, the suffering that goes on around us is horrible, unpleasant, it's painful. And no life is free of fleas or suffering, right? And, and I can't tell you why they're suffering. All I can tell you is, is that in your suffering, remember, this is not your home. You're not alone. God knows exactly what you're going through. So pray to him. Trust him. Surrender to him. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are a mighty God and that you know what's going on in each and every one of our lives. And Heavenly Father, I know that when we talk about suffering, our, our hearts sink a little bit because right away the things that we're dealing with come to mind. We don't want to think about it. They've brought us pain. They might trigger something else that's going on and we get frustrated. But God, you're bigger than all that. We know that in this world we're going to have suffering. We've not been promised to be free from pain while we're here on this earth. We're just strangers, we're aliens here, this is a, this is, we're just visiting. Someday we will be in your presence, but until we are there, Heavenly Father, we pray that we remember 
that you are here with us. We are not alone. You know exactly what's going on in our life. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for knowing every single thing about us and loving us. Thank you, Lord, for in those moments when we, we actually humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness, you forgive us. You show us grace and mercy, that which we do not deserve, you give to us so we can have eternal life and we can be free from this in that eternal life. Help us, Lord, to trust you. Help us to pray to you. Help us to, to lift up our heads and not to walk in misery, not to be ashamed, not to, not to walk around disappointed, discouraged and saying there's no answer. We have an answer. In the midst of suffering, we will have that negative emotion, but we have a positive, creative God who has all the answers. Thank you, God, for your strength. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Lord, we want to sing to you now. Hear our voices as we sing to you. In thy name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.